0: Good morning, folks. Hope you're all well. Isn't it great to see some better weather coming, isn't it? Some brighter mornings, and and it's not freezing, and it's not absolutely soaking, so good to see. Folks, this morning, if you want to open your Bibles and turn to Revelation 17, Revelation 17, I'm sure John's had a few sleepless nights this week preparing this one. I'm sure he'll do great. Uh, Revelation 17. The great prostitute and the beast. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction And the dwellers on earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast, because it was, and is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come." and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh and goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. They are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast." They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords, King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to carry out this purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city and has dominion over the kings of the earth. I'm just going to read, folks, before John, or pray before John comes to speak to us this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Sunday mornings. When we get to come here and just quiet ourselves down, Father. Come, step away from the Netflix and put down the phone. And for a time, Father, we get to just meet together and worship you. We get to praise your name, Father. And now, Father, we get to sit and have your word opened. Father, I pray you'll help John. Give him the words that you want us to hear this morning, Father, and just prepare us as he comes to speak, Father. Still our minds now from all the worries and hassles of the week, and open our hearts, Father, to receive your news. Amen.
1: <laughs> morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I really have only one thing to say about what Marcus said at the start. Uh, one issue that I have is that he described me as someone who is, has their hair slicked over. Right. Now, slicked over would imply that I'm wearing something like brill cream, I do not. I think my hair looks very clean, right? (laughs) Let's move on. Uh, This morning, we are in Revelation 17, and if you were with us last week, Revelation 16 was all about wrath and judgment. And if you were here last week and you thought, right, okay, last week was tough, that ain't nothing to what we're going to see today. Today is uh, a passage that will hit a little bit differently, uh, it has particular relevance, I think, for the church in the West. What we'll see today uh, will hit us, I think, in a different way than last week, because I think last week, you know, we, we get that God is judged, and we get that God's judgment will come, and, and that's okay, but we know as Christians that doesn't affect us. We know that ultimately as Christians we will not be, we will not face the wrath, we will not face the judgment, Chapter 17 is a little bit different. Chapter 17 will hit us slightly differently. Let me ask you if you're a believer in the room this morning. Now, this is only if you are a believer in the room. If you're not a believer, this is not for you, this part. If you're a believer in the room, let me ask you this question What is your greatest danger? What is your greatest danger if you're a believer? For some of us, we might think, well, it's a health thing, cancer, heart disease. Some of us might think, well, I'd be fearful of of an accident happening or something or a natural disaster or terrorism or something like that. If you're in different countries, you might think, well, the greatest danger that I face is an economic collapse, political upheaval, war, all those things can be dangerous. Maybe we think as, as believers, the, the leftist agenda that we're facing today, the, the, the sexual uh, norms that are coming into play today, though that's the greatest danger to the church. Maybe we think that's the greatest danger that we face. I want to tell you this morning that none of those things are the greatest danger that the church faces. None of those things are the greatest danger that the church faces. I want to give you an example this morning from Scripture of the greatest danger that the church faces today, and it comes from a friend of the Apostle Paul. Let me give you this example. In Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 20, uh, verse 24, Paul sends greetings from himself and a friend called Demas. He calls him a fellow worker. Demas is a friend of Paul's. Some might say, actually, a disciple of Paul's. Paul wrote Colossians and Philemon while he was under arrest and in prison. That means that this friend of his, this friend, this disciple of his, was with him in prison for proclaiming the gospel. Demas persecution is no problem for Demas. Up front, in your face, you're going to go to jail for preaching the gospel is not a problem to this disciple of Paul's. He'll take that and he'll go to prison with Paul. He was with Paul when things got tough up front. Persecution didn't seem to be an issue for him. He could deal with that and carry on and be faithful. We don't know exactly how long Demas had been with the Apostle Paul prior to him giving these greetings in Colossians and Philemon, but afterwards we know he remained by his side for at least two years, possibly up to eight. For Paul refers to him one more time in his last letter to Timothy, to Timothy. Paul writes, and these are some of the saddest words you'll hear in Scripture. Think about who this is, Paul's friend Demas, fellow worker, disciple, someone who he has poured time into, someone who he has spent time with, someone who was following Jesus faithfully. Paul writes this, do your best in 2 Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. because he loved the world, he has deserted me. Demas loved the world and the things of the world and left the Apostle Paul after years. This was someone who was faithful under persecution, stood beside the Apostle Paul, went to prison with the Apostle Paul, but deserted him because of his love of the world. That, friends, is the greatest danger the church faces today. Love of the world and the things of the world. That is the crux of chapter 17 in Revelation. Here, Jesus pictures to John the attractions and allure of the world in the person of this prostitute, Babylon. We've been introduced to Babylon before, chapter 14. Uh, One of the three angels preceding the final judgment declares, "'Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great.'" she who made all the nations drink wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. Remember that in Revelation 14. Then in chapter 16, God's wrath is completed through the pouring out of the seventh bowl, and John again mentions Babylon's demise. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of the wrath. Revelation 16. And so, what we have in 17 is essentially a flashback. So, we know chapter chapter 14, chapter 16, Babylon has fallen, this great city that represents symbolically the things of the world. And so, we know chapter 16, the things of the world have passed away. So, this is essentially a flashback to when the things of the world are still present. That's what we have in chapter 17 and chapter 18. John sees Babylon not fallen, but alive and well, the prostitute Babylon, is, and this is really essential as we walk through this, John pictures this prostitute, right? And she is alluring, the things of the world are alluring and attractive, but she is repulsing at the same time. Attractive and yet disgusting at the same time. That's essential as we look at this today. And then finally in chapter 18, the angel declares, again, we'll look at that next week, her end and her Demise. So, if you're taking notes, that's our introduction finished. We're moving in now to the attractions of the world. If you want to take, if you want to take a heading, the attraction of the world. Under this heading, we'll look at the image John sees and try to understand their relevance for us today. What is the woman? What does she stand for? What are her characteristics? How does John describe her? In verse one, she is called the great prostitute. Verse two. Uh, if you can remember back to chapter fourteen, uh, we said there that Babylon, uh, those who drink, those who do not belong to God, those who dwell on the earth, are drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. You remember we we said that drunk people make wrong decisions; they can't see straight, and so they are uh, they are immersed in the things of the world. Their vision is clouded; they cannot see reality. When someone is drunk or someone is passionate. They they don't see the way they need to. They do foolish acts that harm themselves. Verse 3 tells us that she's sitting on a beast. Now, let's go back again. This is the first beast in chapter 13, with the seven heads and the ten, ten horns. And recall, we identified that beast as political power used against God's people. So this woman, this prostitute, is linked with political power, state persecution, but distinct from it. Verse 4 tells us she's dressed in purple and scarlet, expensive dyes, which only the rich could afford. She also wears gold, jewels, pearls, and holds a golden cup. And so she essentially portrays all the things of the world, stuff. So, while she is alluring, attractive, seems to be beautiful on the outside, verse 4 tells us the reality of what she is. Her golden cup, which is so beautiful on the outside, is full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Verse 5 tells us what's written on her forehead, what defines her, mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. What's John's reaction to seeing this prostitute? This is really fascinating. This is the Apostle John. What's his reaction to seeing her? He marvels at her. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 there for me. if you have it in front of, when I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. So, it's even as if the Apostle John here is attracted to this prostitute. She is so alluring, so attractive on the outside that it looks like the Apostle John is actually, he has, he has developed an attraction to her. And then in verse 7, the angel rebukes him And says, why do you marvel in the sum of this woman? Why do you marvel? Here, essentially, what we're talking about is this this woman are the things of the world. She appears attractive on the outside. She appears alluring, but she is deeply dangerous to God's people. Now, is that not sin— summed up? Is that not just sin summed up? Whatever you think of, you, you, can, you can tick the box yourself, but whatever sin you can think of, is that not the case? That it looks alluring, it looks attractive, but the reality is that it will take your life No matter what it is, you think of it, as I say, you fill in the blank. Whatever sin you can think of, whether that be materialism, whether that be consumerism, whether it be sexual immorality, whatever the sin is that you can think of, the reality is this, it promises much but delivers nothing and brings death. And that's what we see in this prostitute that is described for us in Revelation 17. Alluring, attractive, but brings death. So what does a woman stand for? Why does Jesus have John see these images? Why does Jesus impress upon us the dangerous attractions of the woman? Well, we need to go down a wee bit to verse 7, seven to 17. It mainly has to do with the, the beast and his relationship to this prostitute. Um, For now, I want want to just skip, and today I will actually go into some of 18, and then we'll look at it again next week, but really the last verse of chapter 17 here tells us exactly who this woman is, and the woman that you saw. Sometimes revelation can be uh, confusing, sometimes it's pretty straightforward, and it just tells us exactly what's happening. This is one of those times. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. You'll notice we've we've heard that phrase before, the great city. We've heard that before. I don't know if you can remember or not, but the great city is, is when we we read city anywhere in Revelation, especially when it's to do with sin, it it is synonymous with sin. That's essentially what it's saying. It's, it's, it's a free-for-all. The great city that symbolically is called, in chapter 11, remember we heard the great city that is symbolically called Sodom, Egypt, and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Now, that's, that, that verse, I can remember even in, verse, in chapter 11, that was slightly confusing for us. How can something be Sodom, Egypt, and literally Jerusalem? How can it be those three things? What's what's, what's Revelation trying to set us when it talks about this great city that is Sodom, Egypt, and Jerusalem? Well, we'll have to think of the symbols in Revelation again. We're speaking symbolically. So, what is true of Sodom? What is true of Egypt? And what is true of Jerusalem? Sodom, unrestrained sexual indulgence, and sexual immorality. That is why God brought judgment on Sodom. So, that's true of Sodom. What is true of Egypt? What is true of Egypt is material prosperity and false religion persecuting God's people. So, what is true of Jerusalem? False religion persecuting the church. You amalgamate those three things, and you have Worldliness in its entirety, unrestrained sexual indulgence and sexual immorality, material prosperity, false religion persecuting the church—that's the world. That's the world, and so that's the picture that we have here of this woman in verse or in in, in chapter seventeen. We've seen Babylon makes those who dwell, again, Babylon, this great symbol for the world, Babylon makes those who dwell on the earth drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. She uses her luxurious living to entice men. So, How can we summarize? I think you've got a fair idea now what this woman stands for, what this prostitute stands for. In some ways, she can seem quite similar to the second beast of chapter 13, later called a false prophet, uh, which entices people through false religion, who, who promises them much but delivers nothing. She's quite like that. The great prostitute is similarly enticing and and attractive. But what we can say is this woman basically, very simply, represents the things of the world. Now, We need to do some honest soul-searching when we think about this, as the church. Because what are we giving most of our time to? These are the, this, this is the, these are the questions that, that Revelation chapter 7 beg us to ask if this woman, this prostitute is, is representing the things of the world, the allures of the world, whether that be stuff, nice car, nice house, nice whatever, you fill in the blank, whether that be popularity, maybe that's your thing, maybe you need to be popular, that's the goal, that's the things of this world, maybe that's it. Whatever it might be, we need to wake up. This prostitute, and we'll get into this in a moment, sits on the beast. And we talked about the beast, these two beasts being allies of Satan. He uses these beasts against God's people. This woman is sitting on one of the beasts, so why would it not be that this is one of the devices that Satan uses to distract the church? The reality is, and I I, I don't want to sound too harsh, but the reality is the church in the West has become drunk on stuff we are far more concerned with what we have or don't have than we are with the glory of Christ. We are far more concerned with our own comfort than we are with the glory of Christ. We are far more concerned with our own felt needs than we are with the glory of Christ. Marcus set us up today really, really well by saying, what did you expect when you came here today? Most, I say most of church in the West today will be filled with people who come to church to have their own felt needs met. not to give glory to Jesus. Most of the church in the West today will come to church today to try and figure out how to have a better marriage, how to manage their finances better, how to do X, Y, and Z better. That is not the point. The point of this is giving glory to Jesus. That's the point. That's the point of your life if you're a follower of Christ. The point of your existence is to worship Jesus. How are we supposed to do that when we're numb on stuff? If we spend all of our time going after comfort, making ourselves comfortable, numbing ourselves. I've just covered about five points out that I had, but <laughs> that's where we are. That's where we are. It's no coincidence, folks that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Is it not those who are poor in the eyes of the world, rich in faith? That is no coincidence. Because the brother of Jesus knew that when we are the way we are, What faith do we need? And I know, listen, I know times are tough. People are struggling to meet bills and pay bills. I get that. I know that. But none of us, I don't think, none of us are wondering where the next meal is coming from. probably the most yeah? We are drunk on the things of the world and we need to sober up. We need to sober up. The reality is, folks, all those things that I just talked about are good gifts from God. Money is a good gift from God. Houses are good gifts from God. Cars are good gifts from God. All those things are good. Food good gifts from God. But when we turn them into gods, that's the problem. When we sacrifice ourselves, when we sacrifice our children, when we sacrifice each other on the altar of that, that's the problem. That's the problem. So this woman represents all the allures of the world. So what is the relation to the first beast on which she sits? Let me read uh, just seven seven to fifteen, which details this relationship that they have. when I saw, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast, that was and is not and is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and goes to destruction." And the ten horns that you saw and the ten kings have not yet, yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings, for they are together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them for the Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with them called the chosen and faithful. Well, now, that's about as clear as mud, yes. Sounds pretty confusing to me. But remember what we have seen before. You keep the thing about Revelation is you need to keep going back. You need to keep remembering what we've witnessed before in the book. So the first beast in chapter 13 was an amalgamation of what the four beasts in Daniel seven. And there the angel interprets the vision for Daniel. The, beasts are, the four beasts are empires, four kingdoms. As an amalgamation of them all, the beasts stood for political power. And we need to just remember that. That's basically, we need to remember what the beasts are. Our, our, the passage today tells us a complicated story about the horns and the heads and the beast and all that stuff, but we need to keep it as simple as we can. We need to remember that the, beast sta- the first beast stands for political power, state-sponsored persecution of the church. The beast has seven heads, seven mountains, seven kings. What's the number seven represent in Revelation? Completeness. It is a complete picture of political power over time. That's what it means. It piles image upon image upon image. Probably to the first readers, the seven hills of Rome were in view. The Roman Empire would have been brought to mind. Political power. That's what the beast represents. So just remember that one, that, that That complicated section there between seven and 14, keep it as simple as possible. It is political power, state-sponsored persecution. That's what we're, we're talking about there. And this, this prostitute that sits, this, the allures of the world sits on that is another wing of that accomplishing the purposes of Satan. Right. For us today, what are we to do? because this is an, it's actually a really practical passage, or it could be a really practical passage if we take it like that. The church, we need to waken up. We need to be aware of these, these attractions that the world s- send our way, and, and Satan wants to distract us with, what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, that's where I just want to look into chapter 18 briefly. 18.4 says this, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Come out from her, my people. These verses, they're very similar to texts in Jeremiah and Isaiah in the Old Testament, talking about literal Babylon. Come out from among her. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life for the fierce anger of the Lord. So what is the warning to the church? What is the warning to us? Do not get caught up in her intoxication. Don't go there. Do not see the pleasures that she is putting out there, your purpose. Guard your heart from going there. Guard your heart from taking uh, part in what she is putting out there. That is the overarching command of Scripture. The Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, some people have, let's, let's be honest, some people have taken that to extremes, and, and we're not to do that either. Uh, that, that be in the world, but not of the world, is not a, it's not a mandate for exclusivism. It's not. It's just not. We're to be in the world, mix with people, be with people, but we're not to be people of the world. How? Sorry, right me standing up here saying that and being like, yeah, go and do that now, right? don't be of the world but but I have to give you some like practical ways and means by which we do this how do we not do this so first when we are tempted to be people of the world and in particular I'm going to I'm going to speak to to a particular thing here and that's to be people of stuff right to accumulate to accumulate material possessions to go after the 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 big house the fancy car i I don't know what it is right and I'm, I, I just want to be I always want to be as honest with you as your pastor as honest with you as the church as I can be right I don't know what it is, but when I'm preaching a passage right i don't know God's sovereign, all things. We're going to get to that in a moment. God's sovereign in all things. But it seems to be in that particular week, I am faced full on, flat out with whatever I'm speaking on that Sunday. Every week. So this week, I'm going to to be really honest, and I've been really honest with some of the people already in church, and, and I want to be really honest with you. This week, right? I'm on the old Instagram. I am. Hard to believe, but I am. Young fella, slicked hair, all that. Uh, apparently, dressed up today, too. I dress, I like guess, every Sunday sorrow, All right? Uh, it's just you don't tidy yourself. Uh, I'm on Instagram, right? And this week, I don't know why. If you went into my Instagram now, I wish I could do this on the big screen, right? If you went into my Instagram search thing this week, right, all you will find is luxury prestige cars. Right? It's all you'll find. Literally. Until I got to the point the other day, I was in the yard. i go to the yard now and again, I would. Uh, every day. Right? Uh, I was in there the other day and I said to a couple of guys, Do you know what I really want? Do you know what I really want? I would love a Lamborghini Urus. Yeah, I would love one of them. Roughly about 250,000, all right? Bert might hook me up, who knows? That's my dad, not a chance. Uh, That's where I found myself this week. Because I started scrolling, started looking, started finding out, just, you know, just looking at it, looking, just looking at it. And I found myself going, you know what? I would like that. I would like that. I'd love that. Some of you are judging me right now. You are. I know I can tell. Carlin, your face says it all. (laughs) You know? That's where I went. Because that's what Satan is trying to do. He is trying to allure us in to numb us to the realities of the world to the realities of the people, that people need Jesus, not Lamborghini Uruses. Now, apparently, you can get an Audi rsq Q8, which is half the price. I'm only saying, <laughs> but if anybody would like to gift that my birthday today, I'm only saying, uh, you know, it'd be a gift from God's people, but for the poor pastor, <laughs> you could fuel it as well. Uh, Here's the thing, this is where I was going. Everything, everything will end up on the scrap heap. Everything is passing away. The Lamborghini Urus will go to the crusher, and it will be no more. We need to remember that everything is passing away everything you have now, everything you have in 100 years, gone, gone. You need to remember this. We need to remember this. Remember, it is only you, your soul, and other people's souls that will last forever. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Remember, everything is being destroyed. Second thing, second practical thing I think we should do, and I'm speaking to myself here, voluntarily deny ourselves things of the world sometimes. Voluntarily deny ourselves things of the world. So, for me, you know, if I ever have the chance, I'm shooting myself in the foot right now. I feel it. I can feel it shooting myself. If I ever have, which I'll never do, because I can safely say this, if if I ever have 250,000 pounds to spend on a Euros, I should voluntarily not do that and forgo that. You scale it. Scale it to whatever you want. We should every now and again deny ourselves the things of the world. I'm going to shoot myself on the foot again. This is a good morning. You're doing this on your birthday, Johnny, you're mental, right? We should, every one of us, voluntarily come away from social media for periods of time. It is polluting your mind. It is polluting my mind. It is showing me constantly, constantly, this is what you can have. This is what's out there. This is what's available, blah, 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 blah. You are being polluted. I am being polluted, and we should voluntarily set time aside from that every now and again. There's a reason why Prayer and fasting are a thing in the Bible. Fasting is not so much about the food. Who, I was talking to someone the other day, I'll not name names, but they were recommending that we go on a fast so we could lose a bit of weight. That's not the point, all right? Not the point. The point of fasting is that you focus on the Lord. That's the point. Same with social media. Go off it, focus on the Lord. Not the stuff voluntarily denying ourselves every now and again, removing ourselves from where the temptation is. Whatever that might be for you, you only know that. And the third thing, so that's three things. Remind yourself that everything is passing away. Voluntarily deny ourselves every now and again. Third thing, trust. Trust. In the sovereignty of God, trust in the sovereignty of God. Listen to this, verse seventeen, speaking of God's enemies. The ten horns of the ten kings are allied with the beast. of The angel says this: for God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purposes by being of one mind, handing over the royal part of the beast until the word, the words of God, are fulfilled. Do you see what He's saying? Do you see what He's saying? He's saying God is control of it all, even over His enemies. God is in control. He is sovereign. He has a plan. He is working it through, and He will bring it to completion. Amen? That's where we're going. Take heart. Take heart. That is where we're heading. Folks, today, our biggest danger is not the left. Our biggest danger is not illness. Our biggest danger is our love of the world. We are drunk. And we need the Spirit of God to waken us up. Before Marcus comes and leads us in communion today, if there are anybody in here. Today, as I say, is a message primarily for believers. If you're not a believer in this room today, your greatest danger right now is not the things of the world. Your greatest danger is not health. Your greatest danger is not finances. Your greatest danger is none of those things. Your greatest danger is a lost eternity in hell. thank God, He has provided a way out through His beautiful Son, through the gospel. And today, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know Jesus or are not following Jesus, please come to Him today in simple faith. Repent of sin. Repentance, if you're, if you're confused about what repentance means, repentance literally just means change direction change your direction. Instead of going away from God, go towards Him. Confess your sin. Say, I'm a sinner. He is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin. You can walk out of this building today knowing that your greatest problem, your greatest danger is resolved, and you can be in Him. Do that today, please. I'm going to pray for us. Marcus is going to come and lead us in communion. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it speaks, and Father, today's passage has never been more relevant for us today here in North Ireland, where we are bombarded with messages to love the world. Help us. We need Your help. We need Your Spirit. And forgive us. Father, forgive us for our sin of worldliness. Help us, we pray. We need it in Jesus' name. Amen.